Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well-home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our episode on the Coastal Grandmother Trend, how to protect our loved ones from grandparent scams, and also two celebrations that we will have on September 11th. The first is National Grandparents Day, and of course, the second is never forgetting our first responder heroes and those that we lost on September 11th. I'm Sherry Stelling, your host, and as I mentioned, we are going to kick off September, which is National Healthy Aging Month by first focusing on grandparents. And of course, this really wonderful trend that's been happening called Coastal Grandmother Trend. And if you haven't heard about it, you've either been stuck in an airport somewhere or maybe lost on a deserted island, but it's a huge phenomenon. So we're going to tell you a little bit about how that got started and also how you can incorporate this into your wardrobe as well as your well-home design. And then, of course, we're going to talk about grandparent scams, which is a really big issue. You know, a lot of people think, well, financial elder abuse and identity theft and, and all these things probably won't happen to my loved one. But in fact, it's cost billions of dollars each year and lost savings and other things with our older adults. And we've got a wonderful expert who's going to tell us all about this today. It's Liz Lowy, who is the co-founder of Eversafe. And that's a wonderful service that helps protect our loved ones from a lot of these scams and identity theft and fraud. So she's going to tell us all about what this is and how we can protect our loved ones. And then, as I mentioned, we are going to talk a little bit about National Grandparents Day. We're going to talk about the rise of grandparents who are caring for or taking care and raising their grandchildren, but also children who are caregiving for their older grandparents. And then we're going to give you some really great resources and things to think about in terms of grandparents and a couple of studies that are really interesting that show how we actually can be healthier and more resilient when we bring our older and younger generations together. And then, as I mentioned, we are going to talk about coastal grandmother trend in well-home design, and then we'll finish up, as usual, with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. This is part of our year of living colorfully. We're going to focus on the color blue, and we're going to talk about, we've been having an endless summer, but summer is kind of falling into fall now. And so we're going to talk about our connection to coastal water and also air, which are, you know, the color of blue and how that makes us healthier and happier. Before we dive into our caregiver wellness news, I just want to take a few minutes and reflect on the heroes and those we lost on September 11th. You know, for many of our grandparents, and we're going to talk a lot about grandparents today, their 9-11 was Pearl Harbor. And there was national outrage and sorrow followed by national unity. And I think those of us who lived through 9-11 
can really relate to that because I think there were very similar feelings. You know, we watched the tragic loss of those in the Twin Towers that were destroyed by terrorists, as well as one side of the Pentagon. And then, of course, the heroism of the passengers on United 93 who downed their airplane in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, before it could reach its target, which was presumed to be either the White House or the Capitol. And there was so much humanitarian kindness and coming together at that time. It's awful to have a tragedy have to create that for us. But I think having lived through it, it was something that I can really relate to in terms of the country really coming together, which I think is something very many of us wonder, can we ever do that again? I happened to be in Chicago for a sales meeting, and we, of course, watched the towers fall. And I had a colleague who had a loved one who was in Tower 2. It was just beyond sadness. I don't even know how to describe it. But the one thing that I can tell you that happened out of that day is all of us that were together, there was about 12 or so of us that were there to pre-plan for the sales meeting. And our number one thought was, of course, about our families and our loved ones and how could we get home? Because, of course, all of the airports, they grounded all the airplanes. There was no air traffic for the next couple of days. And that was our number one thought. And, you know, for those of us now who have lived through this recent global pandemic, in some ways you could say, well, it was certainly more tragic than 9-11. But for me, it was maybe not quite as poignant. I was lucky because I didn't have a lot of friends or loved ones who are affected by COVID. We all made it through, knock wood. But, you know, a lot of families were affected. But it also brought us together and it reminded us again, what's most important to us? And I think it's family and our chosen families, as well as, you know, our families that we have and our loved ones. And so it's a great time for us to reflect on, are we doing enough to create these intergenerational connections and relationships and keep them strong? Are we focused on the right things? Those become, I think, really great themes that we all need to think about. And going back to 9-11, I think the one thing that for me really is poignant is that, again, Pearl Harbor is not something I lived through, certainly, is not something I experienced. I know it was huge for my grandparents, even though they didn't talk about it a lot. I think it certainly affected them in, in ways. We had family, of course, that joined up after Pearl Harbor and were both in the Pacific and European theaters. And so they were very much affected by that. And yet, as I grew up, we didn't really think about it as much. We didn't commemorate it. We didn't talk as much about it. And now I see after about 21 years after 9-11, the same thing starting to happen with September 11th. You know, when I think about it, there's a lot of 20-somethings out there who were either, you know, really, really small children, probably didn't, you know, necessarily connect with what was going on. Even people who were younger than 20 didn't even live through it. And so we start to heal after these tragedies, but we also start to forget. And there's almost a bit of complacency. And if there's one thing that history teaches us, It's that when we forget our history, we're doomed to repeat it. And unfortunately, a lot of the bad things that have happened throughout history, we have a tendency to repeat. And so, you know, we need to start learning our lessons from history and really not forgetting these things, telling the stories, making sure that younger generations who didn't experience it understand it. And hopefully all of us looking for ways to 
not have these types of tragic situations happen in the future. So, you know, I'm going to post on the episode guide page some articles for those of you who know me or have listened to me speak. I'm a huge supporter of many of the 9-11 organizations. I've written numerous articles about 9-11, particularly the health impacts. You know, there was one recent research study that I wrote on for PBS Next Avenue that talked about the first responders who were on the pile, which was at Ground Zero in New York City, and it was the toxic debris that they were inhaling day after day, but also the trauma and the post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, of seeing human remains really took a toll on these first responders. And it wasn't just a an emotional or mental health toll. This research study showed that these first responders who are now, you know, they're around my age, they're, you know, in their late 50s and in their early 60s, but they're showing brain scans that are more similar to 80 and 90 year olds who have Alzheimer's. And so there is now cognitive decline to the point where it is almost like early Alzheimer's or dementia. And it really shows us how the environments that we're in, both from just the physical environment, but also the mental environment, can really take a toll, particularly on our brain health. So I'll have links to those articles on the episode guide page if you're interested in reading more and also some other organizations that I just wanted to do a shout out. For us never to forget, um, John Stewart is a huge champion for this, as are so many others, but I, I just want to... I want to be one of those voices that continues to remind us to never forget what happened on 9-11 and to pray that we can come together and not have anything like that happen again. Okay, so for our caregiver wellness news, we're going to dive into grandparents because as we said, September 11th also happens to be National Grandparents Day. And for many of you, you may not know, we have over 70 million grandparents in the U.S. And for those of you who are close to your grandparents or were close to your grandparents, you know that grandparents can be, first of all, you know, wonderful mentors and advisors. They're certainly sage, wise people that we have in our life. They often form a buffer, if you will, between all the teenage angst that sometimes we have with parents and children. But, you know, grandparents are also contributing a lot. They're babysitting. They're certainly paying for certain things, whether it's college or cars or clothes, but there's a lot of money that's going out. In fact, ARP says that grandparents spend $179 billion a year on their grandchildren. And, you know, many older adults, of course, join Facebook just because they wanted to stay connected to their grandkids. So there's just so much happening in this space. But a couple of things I wanted to tell you about grandparents that you may not be as aware of is, first of all, there are over 2.7 million children who are under the age of 18 who live in a household where they're being raised by their grandparent. Now, their parent is not around. It could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe their parent is deceased or even left left them or, you know, perhaps is, you know, incarcerated. But we know that almost 3 million, 2.7 million of these children are being raised by grandparents. And those grandparents, 50% of them are over the age of 60. So obviously, you know, you, you're starting to encounter certain health issues or, you know, maybe slowing down quite a bit. 
and these grandparents yet have stepped into the breach to take care of and raise their grandchildren. And there are special organizations that I'll reference at the end that help out these different populations of caregivers. This would be grand families is what they're called, which are the grandparents caring for grandchildren. Now, the flip side of that is there are also about 1.8 million youth who are under the age of 18 who are the primary caregiver for either a parent or a grandparent very often in the household. Primary caregiver, that means they're doing most of maybe the feeding, the bathing, preparing meals, helping a grandparent, you know, get dressed or whatever it happens to be. Now, when they're backing up another parent who might be the primary caregiver, so that would be in our official designation, that's a secondary caregiver or a backup caregiver, then that number grows to almost about 3.2 million, I think it was, by the latest report from the National Alliance for Caregiving and ARP. So we often overlook these youth caregivers. And there was a a wonderful report that came out from the Gates Foundation a few years ago that showed that 24% of high school dropouts were dropping out of school because they were a caregiver. And for a lot of these caregiving youth, the number one reason that they're caregiving is Alzheimer's disease. So we think about chronic illness affecting the individual, but we can see the ripple effects throughout families and throughout our communities and society of caregiving and what's happening. So again, there's a really great organization, the American Association of Caregiving Youth, I think I've mentioned Connie Siskowski, who is the founder of that. She herself was a youth caregiver for her grandfather. And they do really wonderful work, really supporting these kids and how they're feeling, giving them a sense of resiliency and and getting them in touch with services that can really help them out and also keep them in school, which we know is so important. So just I wanted to do a shout out on that because I think that that's That's part of grandparenting that we often overlook or don't really know that much about. I did also want to mention just a shout out to our episode that we had last November. You can find it on our episode guide page if you scroll down, but it is the, I think it's the second or third maybe episode that we did in season one. It was with Richard Louie, who is the NBC news anchor. He's also an author of a wonderful book, but he's also a documentary filmmaker. He made his film called Sky Blossom, and that was dedicated to youth caregivers, but they were caregivers of a parent who was a veteran, also a grandparent, parent or grandparent who was a veteran. So it was very specific to military families, but I think, again, what it showcases are the challenges and some of the things that a lot of these kids are going through because they have to immediately grow up and be adult and manage all of these things that, again, even as adults, we struggle with and are just overwhelmed by. So it's a really great documentary. If you want to check that out, you can find that online. And I think it also streams on the Peacock Network. And you can listen to Richard talk about it on our episode, which you know is super poignant and wonderful to listen to, but he just did such a wonderful job on that. So I wanted to do a shout out on that. Now, you know, also something else that's going on is prior to the pandemic, We were seeing a rise in multi-generational families. And what that means is more than two generations under one roof, three generations. So, of course, that would be grandparents and grandkids and then the parents in the middle. And we have now almost 60 million Americans who are in a multi-generational household. That's about 18% of our population. And that was actually on the rise prior to the pandemic. Now, during the pandemic, as we know, 
because we were told to social distance, because there were concerns maybe about having older, more vulnerable adults in the same house with younger children, there was a pause that I think was put on that. But I think what it's showing us is that we're kind of going back to what I call the Waltons. For those of you boomers out there who remember the Waltons TV show where they were on the farm and they had grandparents and grandkids and everybody in between living together. It's kind of a a Walton's reboot. And so what we're seeing is that there are home builders now that are looking to actually design homes in communities that really take into account these multi-generational families. So for instance, you would have the main house and then you would have, you know, the, what we kind of say the granny apartment, but it would be a, a smaller section of the home. So it's attached to the home, but it has its own little kitchenette and bathroom and bedroom and kind of living space. And that could be for an older parent or older grandparents to move into so they could be close to the family. The other flip side is it could also be where maybe your older adult kids who come back from college and haven't yet landed a job, they can live there and kind of feel a little bit more independence that they started to feel at college. So there's a lot of different ways that these things are being done. But what it does is it brings, you know, sometimes a family struggle with the down payment for a new home. So if a grandparent maybe has the savings and said, okay, I can do the down payment, you're going to make the monthly mortgage. And then I obviously have somebody who's there to kind of help oversee me and help me out. It kind of works out for everybody. So it's really interesting to see this kind of trend, particularly in, again, home design and in home building even. And it's just something that you can check out. There's Toll Brothers and there's the Lennar Homes. They have something called Next Gen, but those are all really interesting things. Now, something else that I found really interesting is I came across a study, a couple of studies actually, that showed that when grandparents and grandkids are under the same roof, so when they live together, there's actually benefits for both generations. So from the older adult perspective, you move more because, hey, let's face it, grandkids are up and about. And so you're kind of keeping up. You're forgetting about that backache or the knees and the hips that are creaking a little bit. You kind of overcome that because you're not focusing as much on yourself. You're focusing on keeping up with the grandkids and playing a game or doing whatever. Also, grandkids are great because they teach our older adults some of the technology that we're not digital natives to. And so they can help us out with some of those things. And from the younger generation standpoint, what we find is that, you know, obviously when we bring generations together, there's a lot of storytelling, there's a lot of shared history of our families and our ancestry. And so what it does is it really gives these younger kids a sense of who they are and it grounds them in a way that increases their resiliency. And what we found in studies is that they are able to tolerate and able to manage through being bullied at school. They don't have as much struggle with that. They certainly don't have any kind of the levels or even, you know, getting close to like the suicide rates that we're seeing with younger teens who don't maybe have that grandparent in their life. And as I said, on the older adult side, you know, we're lowering blood pressure. We're keeping older adults moving, which helps out, by the way, with joint pain. The more you move, the less it's actually painful, which sounds counterintuitive, but it's true because you're kind of, you know, you're you're lubricating those joints through movement. So I just, it's something to think about. Obviously not all of us can have everybody under one roof, but even if it's just to make sure that 
our older and younger generations are coming together and are spending time with each other and quality time, not just the typical holiday for a few hours, but, you know, maybe it's a weekend where the kids stay over at the grandparents or whatever it is. I think it's really helpful. And I think some of these studies are really reinforcing how having those intergenerational connections are are important for all of us, right? So again, if you're lucky enough to have grandparents in your life or in your children's life, it's something to think about. I can tell you personally that when my parents divorced, I was um, age six and my brother was age two. So he was a little young, maybe not quite in tune with what was going on, but we moved with my mom into my grandparents' house and we lived with them for a couple of years. Now, my grandparents were older because my grandmother was you know, in her late 30s and 40s when he, she er, had her two children, including my mom. And so they were older grandparents. And But I just remember it was magical. And the stories that I learned, particularly from my grandmother, who she was a writer and she loved to read and just learning about our family history and having her as a calming effect. And she always encouraged us to get outside and daydream and just go stare at the clouds and lie in the grass and, you know, just wonderful things like that. I really feel like a lot of people talk and say how much divorce really impacted them. And I can almost say, It was almost a little bit of a blessing in my life because I got this really wonderful two-year period with my grandparents that I, you know, I wouldn't have had because they, of course, were older. And then I wound up kind of backing up my mom when she became their primary caregiver. So it's just something that I think is really important for us to to think about if we've got those good relationships going. I know not every family has wonderful relationships between the generations, but if you can bring your grandkids and grandchildren together, I think it's really, really wonderful and really magical. And so the other thing is I mentioned the resources. So American Association of Caregiving Youth, the other one is Generations United. They do the opposite of what the American Association of Caregiving Youth does, they they look at the grandparents who are really caring for the grandkids and a lot of these intergenerational activities. So those are the two really great resources that are out there. We're going to have links to them on our episode guide page. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about what's wonderful about having the generations under one roof is that we can avoid the social isolation and loneliness that we know impacts a lot of our older adults. And particularly, I think we saw this during the pandemic when we did have to socially distance from our older loved ones. And we know how much now that really impacts health. I mean, it affects everything from cardiovascular disease to Alzheimer's risk when you have chronic loneliness. So for both ourselves, but also our older loved ones, we have to really avoid those things. We have to stay socially connected. So here's a really great resource for you because a lot of our older adults either don't want to drive or are unable to drive, perhaps if they are now using a cane or a walker or a wheelchair and they just, you know, they aren't able to manage the driving, they feel cut off from that independence and that freedom and that ability to kind of go to the places that you want to go to. And whether it's just spontaneous or whether it's something planned, they start to cut out some of those social activity and we want to avoid that. So, you know, you think about, well, there's taxi cabs and there's Uber and there's Lyft and those are fine. But just to, to understand the world of senior transportation, there are different types of transportation. So there's the curb to curb and that's the taxi type service and, and really the Lyfts and Ubers. They will only pick up the person at the curb. They won't get out of the car and help them into the car. They won't put the walker, the wheelchair in the trunk. 
and they won't help them out of the car. So your loved one has to be fairly independent and able to do those things on their own if you're going to use that service. Then there's something called door-to-door. Now, this is where the driver will get out and help the loved one, and they'll get them to the front door or to the front of you know the shopping mall or to a faith-based service or, or wherever, but they won't necessarily help them go through the door. And that's the third type of service, door-through-door, where you're actually helping somebody. Maybe they've got groceries. You're helping them just get them into the kitchen or whatever, or into the entryway and making sure that they're secure and they're safe as they get back into their home or they get into the doctor's office okay and they don't get lost or confused or whatever. So those are the three types of services. And as I said, taxis and Uber and Lyft don't do that. However, I've got a really great resource for you. So there is a company called GoGo Grandparent. They are in every city across the U.S. and as well as in Canada. And what they do is they act as a concierge service. So they actually use the drivers from Lyft and Uber. That's their fleet, if you will, of drivers. But there's special training that those certain drivers that they use go through so that they are more sensitive to older adults who maybe can't see as well or can't hear as well. Or again, if they have a walker or a cane or a wheelchair, they will get out and they will help them. And the other thing is what GoGo Grandparent does is, is it follows the drivers. So if they can see... Okay, so the grandparent is on the opposite side of the street, down the street or down the block, which we know happens, right? And what do we usually do? Well, we will have to walk down the block and across the street to get into the Lyft or the Uber. Well, what GoGo Grandparent does is they say, no, Uber driver, you've got to do a UE somehow and you've got to get back around on that other side of the street and pick them up at the curb where they are. So they really follow the whole ride and the whole journey. And then they can also send a text message to you on your smartphone saying your loved one arrived okay, they were picked up fine, and they were dropped off fine. So this gives a lot of peace of mind, I think, to family caregivers. They also offer a landline service. So if your loved one's not comfortable with an app, then you can use the landline service. And I will tell you something very interesting. When I was at USC, so the Keck Medical Center of USC, I was working with the group, the USC Center for Body Computing, and we were doing a research study on rideshare. It was actually funded by by ARP and United Healthcare. And we were looking at both making sure that older adults got to their medical appointments, which they well, a lot of them miss. So six million, four to six million seniors miss their follow-up medical appointments. But also we were offering them free social rides. They could go anywhere they wanted socially for 90 days and use this rideshare service that we use Lyft for this particular research study. Anyway, you can read more about the study. I'm going to have the link on my episode guide page, but What we found is that 90% of these older adults said their well-being and their happiness factors went through the roof because they had that access to that social transportation and they could take it on demand. They didn't have to wait for somebody to pick them up or rely on an adult daughter or son or somebody to take them somewhere. They could just call it up whenever they wanted and go where they wanted. So that freedom, they got that freedom back, even though they weren't actually doing the driving, which I thought was really fascinating. And so it's just something for us to think about. Again, it's another resource as family caregivers. We're always trying to tap into things that are going to help us out. But you do need to know where some of the stumbling blocks are, some of the challenges, particularly when it comes to, you know, some of this, this transportation stuff. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier grandparent scams and I know you're probably saying, yeah, you know what, my, my parent, my grandparents pretty savvy, you know, they're, they're not going to get scammed. Well, let me tell you almost 100,000 
older adults got scammed last year. I think it was like the real number was like 92,000 or something like that. And it cost over $1.7 billion in lost savings or stolen, you know, credit and identity and all of these kinds of things. So this is real. And these scammers, let me tell you, they are sophisticated. They're criminal rings that run this. We've heard that even the mafia types have gotten into this business. So I've got Liz Lowy, and she is the national expert on elder abuse when it comes to finances. And she's going to tell us some really wonderful stories because she was a New York City prosecutor for a lot of this financial abuse of older adults. But also she's the co-founder of a company called Eversafe, Fantastic service that you may want to listen to what how she tells you how it works, but it can really keep your loved one protected from all of these scammers and these awful fraudsters that are out there. So let's take a listen to my interview with Liz Lowy. So I'm really excited to have our guest on today, Liz Lowy, who is the co-founder and Chief Operating Officer for Eversafe. Um, but Liz is an absolute, you know, brilliant New York City prosecutor. She knows the legal system inside and out, and also particularly when it comes to protecting our older loved ones from things like identity theft and fraud. So Liz, I'm just so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Sherry. I'm honored to be here. I'm a big fan, and brilliance an overstatement, but I try. So, <laughs> you I'm are. In here. my world, you are definitely brilliant. Oh, so the you. first question we always ask our guests is, where are we talking to you from today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Usually I'm in New York City where my office is, but I've been working upstate since it's summer right now, and I'm in the Adirondacks. Oh, So beautiful. the Adirondacks is actually the largest park, from what I understand, in the U.S., it's got lots of uh, trees and mountains and lakes. It's beautiful. So I feel very fortunate. I didn't know that. That's actually great information. And, you know, we love kind of that biophilic, you know, being in nature kind of, you know, environments and everything. So I'm sure it's beautiful right now, particularly it is. at this it time is. of year. Well, thanks so much for making time for us today. So Liz, I thought what we do is just, I would love for our listeners to understand a little bit about your background, because I think, again, being a prosecutor is so essential to kind of understanding then how you came to form Eversafe and, and co-found it. And so tell us a little bit about that part of your career in life. And then also what did prompt you to start um, Eversafe? Thanks. Um, good question. You mean not not all ex-prosecutors go into fintech <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, they're old, when they're older? Also, my kids are still <laughs> laughing about that, but that's okay. So the first part of the question first, I am an ex-prosecutor, as you said. I am not one of these people that from the time I was three years old wanted to be a lawyer. I actually went to law school sort of somewhat at the last minute, didn't love it, tried a big firm, did not like that, then interned as a prosecutor at the Manhattan DA's office in New York City, kind of fell in love. I mean, a job where you could go to court and protect victims and hold people who were not following the rules accountable. That was me as a little kid, right? I was obnoxious, always calling out people who were not being nice to the weaker ones or not following the rules. So I really fell in love with that internship. I ran the domestic violence unit for a while. Uh, we had a great DA at the time, Robert Morgenthau, who asked me to do that. And many of the domestic violence victims were older. 
And we had all kinds of specialized units. We had a domestic violence unit, sex crimes unit, child abuse unit, even a Spanish language unit, but no unit focused on older victims. And here there was an agency, Adult Protective Services, that dealt with older victims. So I went and spoke to the boss. That's what we called Mr. Morgenthau. And he said, let's start one. So we did start what I'm told is the first elder abuse prosecution unit in the country, quickly saw what most researchers have found, which is that most elder abuse cases involve financial exploitation. And so I did have a unit of 18 prosecutors. We dealt with these financial exploitation cases. We work with banks and firms and credit unions and, of course, victims and caregivers. And the cases were really, really heartbreaking. For everybody involved, most people felt they could have been more forward about dealing with what was going on with the older victim and the fact that they were being financially abused. Many of the defendants were family members, many of them, who decided that they would be financial caregivers who paid themselves without doing any advanced planning or talking with the older mom or dad or grandparent first. Many were just plain greedy and decided that their parents' money was their money if they were the only beneficiary in the will, especially, or if their parents started suffering from cognitive impairment. So I did, even though I had this great unit of prosecutors, I kept some of my own cases. One of them involved a well-known woman named Brooke Astor. If you've been to New York City, maybe you've stopped at the Astor Place subway stop or gone to the Waldorf Astoria but she ended up being exploited by her only son and an attorney. And the case got a lot of attention, really because she was well-known and well-known as a philanthropist. And she was uh, ahead of her time and loved by New Yorkers. Um, Her only son and the lawyer were charged, in a nutshell, for stealing from her. It was a sad case. I didn't expect that case to go to trial. Trial got a lot of publicity because very well-known people like Annette de Laurenta and Barbara Walters, they were her friends and they testified. I remember the news about that. And wasn't it also her grandson that kind of brought this to be because Brooke wasn't maybe sure what was going on? And so he wasn't the grandson involved in helping to... Exactly right. And that's what happens in these cases is family members get greedy or worse, they start, maybe they're even the the primary caregiver and they start taking some of the victim's funds thinking I'm the only one visiting or I'm the only one doing the work. In the Astor case, you're right, it was a grandson, one of her only two grandsons who didn't like what he saw. In fact, he wasn't even allowed to visit his grandmother because what happens with financial exploitation is often the victim is isolated while the fraudster does their dirty work, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right. He brought a guardianship application and the case came to the DA's office. They were convicted. At that point, we got calls from all over the country, from trust and estates lawyers with questions about the case and folks who had this going on, their own nightmares in their own families. And one of the calls I got was from a gentleman from the DC area who talked to me about his mother who was living alone. She was divorced. She was about 80 years old when she got a call from a telemarketer who sold her an auto club service when she was, as I said, 80, living alone, had no car, hadn't had a car for years, had no driver's license, 
Anne was legally blind, but she answered yes to the questions a few times. And there she was signed up for that service that she didn't need. And then she was inundated with calls from other unscrupulous, I'll call it business people. I think she was on a sucker list. And frankly, she almost lost her life savings before one of her three sons stepped in, tried to save her from all this. He called our unit, the elder abuse unit, and eventually he and I met. And long story longer, he is now my partner at Eversafe. I didn't realize it at the time. We couldn't take the case, but he just asked a million questions about why this happened. He knew her advisor. And he was successful finance and technology guy and entrepreneur. I told him why these cases still keep happening. And the rest is history. That really inspired the development of Eversafe. I'm very lucky in that I get to do what I did as a prosecutor, but I get to prevent some of these cases with our service so that they don't end up going to you know, local or state or federal prosecutor's offices, we can stop exploiters in their tracks before a lifetime of savings is lost. So I feel really lucky about that. Which is great. And I think that whole prevention is so important. So tell us, how does Eversafe work? So if our listeners are saying, yes, you know, I want to help protect my loved one, how would they engage with Eversafe and and what are the services that you deliver? Sure. And thanks for asking that, because I'm really proud of what we do now. And we do work with a lot of the financial institutions that I work with as a prosecutor. But Eversafe is really a unique monitoring tool. And I say that because I feel like, you know, in the old days when I headed the domestic violence unit, people didn't know that term. It was just becoming familiar to people. Now I would say that elder abuse has become more of a term on the street. When people think about elder abuse and about financial monitoring, they think about identity theft and looking at a credit report. And I will tell you, as a former law enforcement person, my unit of 18 prosecutors that handled elder financial abuse cases, most of those cases never started in a credit report and often never landed there. So there was really no evidence in the credit report. So I'm happy that people now know about identity theft and know about credit monitoring. But what we do, first of all, we're designed for older adults and caregivers relevant to your work. And we analyze not just credit, but where scammers go, which is bank accounts, credit card accounts, investment accounts, retirement accounts, as well as not just the credit report, which is really a summary of credit data we actually have access to credit data. So if a card has been dormant in the back of a drawer for weeks and say someone in the home takes it, maybe someone who's doing some cleaning work in the house or a repairman takes it, we will see the use of that dormant card, which does not happen with the monitoring of a credit report. But we look at all of that. We also look at real estate properties. We added that recently. And we look at what's abnormal for Sherry, if you remember. So people say, well, my bank is doing this and my credit card company is doing this. Well, we personalize it. My bank offered fraud monitoring. They offered enhanced fraud monitoring. And I wanted to see what they would do. And frankly, they said, pick two amounts. We'll send you an alert for a transaction over the higher amount. And we'll send you an alert for a transaction for the lower amount. 
but that's not really fraud monitoring. Your financial habits are particular to you. If you gambled every week, that wouldn't be an alert. If you don't, like probably most people, that would be an alert. And our habits change as we get older. So I think about debit card use. I use my debit card at midnight or maybe two in the morning a lot when I was a little younger, less so now. So that should be an alert. We alert for things like unpaid bills. Anything that becomes more difficult as you get older, not necessarily because you have cognitive issues, because you're busy. Maybe you're retiring, maybe you're traveling, maybe you're still working. But we personalize what we're doing and we work the way scammers work, which is across accounts and across institutions, because people don't realize this, but your big bank, if they see something in Sherry's financial account, a depository account, they are not permitted to call over to where you have a 401k. They're not permitted to talk to each other. Banks and firms won't talk to each other. Even if they see something irregular, we do that. And the best part, and the thing that I really makes me most gratified, is that we can send alerts, not just to our members, but to designated, we call them trusted advocates. So you can have a team. You can have your, if you're a grandparent, you can have your adult child get an alert or an adult child and a power of attorney or an adult child and a CPA. You can have one person get alerts or you can designate a whole team. It doesn't cost any more to have that alert sent to one person or two people or five people. So you make your team. No one can move money with our service, but having a team involved is really important to have that transparency. We'll stop that, hopefully one child that's doing all the work from maybe grabbing a little money for Johnny's education or for the food spent or for whatever. Transparency is best. And we believe that monitoring should happen with a designated team. And that's ever safe. Thank you so much for that really you know, comprehensive overview. And you kind of touched upon it. I just want to clarify. So the older person who has this service through Eversafe can designate, okay, as you said, I want my oldest granddaughter, I want you know, my oldest son to be on this account. But that means they get the alerts. Does that also mean that they have access or does that then go back to the legal side where you have to have that power of attorney for financial decisions or whatever it is? I mean, how does that play out? Great question. No one can move money with Eversafe. And so no one has access to it. And we've made the service try really hard not to be ageist. You may want a little help from your trusted advocates. You may want them to serve as an extra set of eyes. They will not be able to move any money, nor can you with Eversafe. This is simply monitoring. It's called read only. But we have made it so you can have your trusted advocate, could be one person or a team, get an alert or get an alert and see transactions or get an alert and see transactions and see balances on accounts or not. So you can really, we've made it really so you can tailor how much you want them to do, which I think is great. You know, some trusted advocates just get the alerts. Some can get the alerts, but look a little deeper and see the transactions. Some can get alerts and see transactions, but not see the balance on your investment accounts. And that's really up to the member. 
Now you're right to compare it to a power of attorney. Brooke Astor's son, he was her power of attorney. He was her power of attorney. He was her healthcare proxy. He was the executor of her will. He worked for her. So the, so the legal protections aren't necessarily working then, right? Sometimes. Well, he made almost half a million dollars a year for, according to witnesses, stopping in at her one of her offices to help the big firms that were handling uh, her investments. He would stop in for 10 or 15 minutes just to see what was going on and making $450,000 a year. And then after she was diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's type, the most common type, he upped his salary from 450 to over a million and made it retroactive. So you may think, well, he was power of attorney, so he gets to do that. But the truth is, there's a lot of misunderstanding about powers of attorney. Agents or attorneys, in fact, pursuant to POA, you're right, they have access to funds. There may even be gifting in that POA. In Brooke Astor's power of attorney or POA, it said, my son can gift himself money. And so I think well, the, the hands defense, are tied, right? I think, well, I thought the defense attorneys thought they'll never get a conviction, but you can't do things like steal valuable paintings when the principal, Mrs. Astor, has no idea what's going on or give yourself a writ. You can't do that, even pursuant to a POA. So Eversafe is a nice step. Powers of attorney can sign up. And you can, you can designate trusted advocates to keep an eye on things. But we prefer an intermediate prevention step or service where money can't be moved or accessed, as you said. And that's what we're doing at Eversafe. That's wonderful. Now, one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on, particularly this episode, because this okay. episode is going to come out in September, which we know is right. Healthy Aging Month. And, you know, exactly. financial wellness is part of our healthy aging plan, but also um, Grandparents Day, which is on September 11th. And, you know, grandparent scams are in the news so often. In fact, I just read a couple of news reports. One was a big national scam ring, I think, that just got busted here in San Diego, where I am in California. $2 million they built older adults out of from their savings and things. And then there was another one in Rhode Island where they took, you know, a handful of older adults for $375,000, something like that. Anyway, what are grandparent scams and what should our listeners know in order to help our loved ones not become a victim of these? Right. So grandparent scams. And yes, absolutely right. This year, September 11th, it's really unfortunate it's that day. I know. (laughs) Yeah. At least this year, I think, I think it's the first Sunday after Labor Day, which this year would be 9-11, which is too bad. They should try to move it. But, you know, when you're talking about bad scams, the grandparent scam is a really nasty scheme. And I think one thing I would say is I think most people who are interested in fraud or elder financial abuse have heard of the grandparent scam. And I think that they think, you know, my grandmother, grandfather would never be a victim because many people are living longer and many grandparents are doing really well and are competent and they have financial capacity. I just want to say the scammers are really good at what they do. So the grandparent scam is what people would think Generally speaking, there's a call involved. Sometimes it's an email, but it's usually a call with variations on a theme. The scammer will call the uh, the grandparent 
usually claiming to be a grandchild. And you may say, well, how do they know that it's a grandparent they're calling? And how do they know what name to use? And you know what I have found from interviewing scores of caregivers and grandparents? Unfortunately, a lot of the times it's social media. So many grandparents are on Facebook and they identify in, I think it's the about section, that they're a grandparent and who their kids are, who their adult kids are, and who their grandchildren are. And they have pictures and they have places where they live. And many of these folks are not only on Facebook, but guess what? They're listed. So it's really, it's like a roadmap to the grandparent scam. And you can take a look and see how many older people have that information right out there for anyone to see for a romance scam or the grandparent scam. So usually the variations on the theme of the grand, grandparent scam is that they either say that there's an arrest or a, a legal problem. And often, again, I have heard this from older victims and caregivers, they'll start the call saying, hello, grandma, grandpa, this is Johnny or Sam. And they know because they've done a little research and they start the call by saying, please don't tell mom, please don't tell dad. They've got these great younger sounding voices and they start that way. And what is every grandparent's greatest wish? It's to be closer to their grandchild, right? And to have secrets. I know this. I know this from my own parents and my own kids. They want to be closer. So by using that psychological edge at starting the call that way, they fool the grandparent into thinking there's truly a crisis, that their grandchild has been arrested. They'll be asked to send either bail money or some kind of legal money because of legal trouble. Often it will go from a kid sounding voice to a very older man sounding voice pretending to be the cop on the case. They'll pass the phone to that person and say that the money has to be wired as soon as possible, and grandparents fall for it. Another variation on the same theme is that there's a medical emergency with the grandchild saying that, Grandma or Grandpa, I was in a car crash. Please don't tell mom or dad, but this is pretty serious. They'll put the phony doctor on the line or the phony, phony nurse who will say, you know, we see no insurance here. We need to call this person's parent. And the grandparent saying, I'll take care of it as soon as possible. Just tell me what needs to be done. A third variation would involve an international crisis. And this happens not just with grandparents, but also with younger adults and friends. I lost my passport. My wallet's been stolen. I have no cash here. I'm never going to get out of here. Could you please wire me funds? But we need to educate our loved ones about all of these scams because while I'm talking about it, everyone is sitting here thinking that would never happen to me. I don't think this would happen to my mom or dad. Trust me, these guys are so good at what they do. I really think almost anyone of any age would fall for it. Now, paying in a gift card, that's what some grandparents have done to get their grandchild out of jail. That certainly should be a red flag. But get off the phone immediately and make sure you know where your grandchild is. Make the call. Do not listen to your grandchild and not call their parent. Make the call. Find out. Understand that this is one of the biggest scams around. And you want to know where some of the money ends up going? It ends up going to the scammer. It can't be traced. And it ends up going to cryptocurrency or a Coinbase. So it really, restitution's almost impossible. But that's it. 
That's what they do. So when you're on the phone with one of these scammers, what do you say? Do you say, give me a number, honey, where I can call you back? I mean, it, you know, because you, you don't want to disconnect, right? Because you are fearful that it could, it could be true. Is that the right approach or how do you, you do, do that? Need, you do need to get off the phone. Yeah. If your grandchild's really arrested, the sheriff or the state police or the law enforcement folks or the lawyer, of course, will want to call back. Get off the phone. Find out where your grandchild is. And, you know, you can call the parent if you wish. You can call the grandchild directly. Do not wire the money. Anyone legitimate will wait for a callback. Right. And then you won't be calling back. <laughs> right. Exactly. You touched upon something earlier, and that was that in a lot of these financial elder abuse cases, they're often perpetrated by a family member. And so that brings up all the kinds of family dynamic. And maybe there's a nephew or a niece who's been involved in drugs or their boyfriend or girlfriend's involved in drugs. I mean, you know, there's all these cases and I know you know all of them. How do you approach it? If you're a family caregiver and you're concerned that your loved one is being abused, whether it's by the housekeepers or whether it's by a family member, what are the steps or what are the things that you would do or, or advise people to do? Yeah, I think the probably the most important step is to have a family conversation about this because family conversations are critical. And if, if you don't want to do it with family, because not every older person has family members involved in their care, right? You know, we all know about caregiving. It's very broad and it means different things to different people, but you, you should have a plan. And your plan should involve having someone involved with keeping an eye on you and keeping an eye on things and knowing what you want for the future. So I can tell you from my professional experience, both as a prosecutor and now, most of us have not had that family conversation, especially about money, including the money you've saved, the money you've invested. But that should be a part of a larger conversation. And I'll tell you, I know this, Sherry, from going to conferences and giving talks, I will ask people in the audience, how many of you have had a family conversation with your parents and your grandparents in which you discuss things like who their doctor is, their GP? I bet you don't get a lot of hands. <laughs> Very few hands. How many of you have told your parents or your grandparents who your doctor is, where your kid's doctor is, or whether you're seeing a specialist, or do you know what medications they're on? Do you know who their lawyer is? Do you know whether they have a power of attorney? Do you know where they even have financial accounts? Do you know whether they have insurance? So it doesn't have to be a conversation where you're infantilizing your parent or grandparent or digging around or trying to find out how much money they have. It can just be the basics. And in that same conversation, since most people do have insurance for their house, their car, their pet, <laughs> their jewelry, why not put something in place where you can keep an eye on your money with financial monitoring that is not just looking at a credit report, which doesn't really say that much, but looking at all of your accounts across accounts, across institutions, and keeping maybe your real estate too. Maybe you're going to be hospitalized and you don't want a title change or a lien or an exorbitant reverse mortgage that you never find out about, but why not monitor and make that part of the family conversation? And in that same conversation, discuss grandparent scams 
or cryptocurrency scams, which are happening a lot to older people, and set up how to keep your cyber use more secure, not just with Facebook, which I mentioned, but setting up getting a two-factor ID or using something like DuckDuckGo, which probably heard about, to, and not using the public network at a coffee shop and other steps that you can take, including using Eversafe, to keep your loved ones more secure. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned DuckDuckGo. That's my mom's favorite new place <laughs> to use. She's she's off of Google and she loves the DuckDuckGo stuff. So, you know, you touched upon the privacy. I know that a lot of older adults are really hesitant to use anything that might be online where they have to give information, even something that's going to protect them like Eversafe. What are the kinds of confidence that you can give to listeners out there that particularly with the service that you're providing, that it is safe and secure and, you know, it's not going to get hacked or whatever? Well, no one can ever promise that they can't get hacked, right? So when I hear folks who are in in monitoring out there or fraud prevention will never be hacked, that should immediately set off a bell, set off a red flag. We've seen banks get hacked. And I, I can tell you as a former prosecutor, and we have other law enforcement folks on our staff, we do take privacy very seriously. Now, there are older people that are worried about banking online, and I do hear that all the time. And I can tell you that I saw scores of victims, and so did the 18 prosecutors in my unit, get into trouble with brick-and-mortar banking. And I think that even if you're worried about banking online, if you don't create an online, online access to your financial account, someone else might. That's a true danger. And so even if you're not going to use it, and I'm convinced that once you create it, you will want to use it, even if it's just to check on balances or to use Eversafe to get alerts. But if you don't have it, someone else could. So I think that's really important. You think about the Equifax breach. Okay, that didn't happen because any one person was using online banking or had online access to their credit cards, right? It was a result of financial institutions providing information to Equifax, and then they had a problem. So I do think it's important to establish online access and to use it to monitor regularly. We do things at Eversafe that other monitoring companies don't do. We work in a private cloud. We do not store full account information. Our motto is, if we don't need it, we don't keep it. We monitor different sources of information, like credit report data, as I told you, social security, veterans benefits, change of address, which may happen, but all of the information is encrypted. We work actually primarily, I'm happy to say, with some of the financial institutions I worked with as a prosecutor. So we have passed due diligence, security reviews with very large financial institutions. As I mentioned, we're read-only, so nobody can move money with our service. We monitor for things like the unauthorized opening of depository accounts. You've heard of some large financial institutions that have had problems, especially with seniors, with unauthorized accounts being opened. We monitor for that and we'll send an alert for that. And we absolutely do not share or sell any of our information with marketing companies, because if we're designed for older adults, we don't want to do that. And it may mean less business, but I think that's very important, especially for older adults. 
Well, you're staying true to your mission, which is really to help support Less those older needed, adults. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the former prosecutors to get in trouble like That's that. That's right. Exactly. Well, Liz, it's just been tremendous talking to you. So much great information to share with our listeners today. Thank you so much. But remind us again, so how can our listeners connect with Eversafe and check out the service that you provide? That's easy. You go to www.eversafe.com. Or you can always call us at 1-888-575-3837. That's our general line, 1-888-575-3837 or eversafe.com online. And give us a call if you want to talk about what we can do. But I'm so happy that you, Sherry, focused on financial health because so often we focus on the physical aspects of health and you know heart rate and blood pressure and blood monitoring and and all of those things but we don't really think about how important financial health is you know i i think it's something like 92% of caregivers out there provide financial caregiving so you know you're you're one of the few that's mentioned it i'm really happy that you have I just think that folks out there can really make their grandparents' lives better by helping them keep an eye on their money and have the conversation. It doesn't have to be like someday you may get dementia. It shouldn't be like that. It should be you're living a long life and a good life. I hear you're going to travel. You're still working. We're both busy. Let's keep an eye on each other's finances. And and you really empower your grandparents by doing that. Well, I think, and I think that's great. I think it's even a great way to have that conversation, right? Kind of start it off on a positive rather than trying to clean up a mess that's been made or a problem that's happened. And you're right. If people don't think that your financial health is tied to your emotional and physical health, I mean, you mentioned high blood pressure. I know for sure that finances are tied to what's going on. So we have to look at all of those elements of our lives in order to be as healthy and as as well as we can. So Liz, thank you so much for all of the great information today. It's just wonderful to talk to you and good to see you again. I hope, hopefully one of these days we'll get together again in person. I know with everything going on with the pandemic, everybody's been separated, but hopefully we'll be great. Yeah. I think I last saw you on the West coast and I hope to see you somewhere in the near future. That would be great. That would be terrific. Thanks again, Liz. And again, it's eversafe.com. And we will also have all of that information on our episode guide page. So thanks. Terrific. Thank you. So for our Well Home Design News, if you, as you've noticed, if you're watching us on uh, YouTube, on our YouTube channel, you're going to see I made a little clothing change here because I wanted to get into our coastal grandmother trend that we're going to be talking about. But I'll describe it so that those of you listening to the podcast will kind of be able to visualize a little bit of what, what I'm going to tell you. But this coastal grandmother trend, if you haven't heard about it, you've probably been stuck, as I said, in an airport somewhere or lost on a deserted island because this is the talk of the town. And what is really kind of crazy about this, or maybe kind of nice, is this trend is really not about grandmas. It is about coastal, but it was started by a 26-year-old TikToker named Lex Nicoletta. She's super beautiful, super fashionable, and she was posting a lot of TikTok videos. And then all of a sudden, about a year, maybe a little over a year ago, she posted about her love of the fashions 
that were in Nancy Myers movies. And those specifically were Something's Gotta Give with Diane Keaton and It's Complicated with Meryl Streep. And she kind of crafted this term, Coastal Grandmother, and it took off like wildfire. She's been featured on Entertainment Tonight and interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and Martha Stewart Living and everybody. But what I really love about this is that not only just is the fashion kind of my vibe because I live at the beach and so we've got kind of that coastal coastal kind of look going on. It's both what the fashion that you're wearing, but also it can apply very much to well home design and to the design aesthetic that we have in some of our homes. But I also love the fact that it really bridges the generations because this is a young millennial who is not, you know, she's not denigrating older people. In fact, she really advocates for as we age, we age like a fine wine. And she really supports and has veneration, if you will, for the older actresses and older adults and older women. So if you haven't checked her out, if you're not on TikTok, I wasn't, by the way, I wasn't on TikTok at all, but I'm going to be writing an article for PBS Next Avenue and I had to go check her out. And it's she just posts some really, really clever, cute things. Now, the other part of this theme, this coastal grandmother trend that we're seeing that she talks about is also anything that has to do with Ina Garten and her cooking. And so she talks a lot about, you know, wonderful food recipes and all of those things. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown, just so you know, for those of you again, who are listening, I'm wearing one of my favorite sweaters. It's a really super lightweight. It's a knitted sweater that is just, it's super lightweight. It's cotton but it's got kind of, how would you describe it? Almost like a waffle kind of design where the air can come through it. So it's not a, it's not like a full sweater. And it's by a company that I love online called Wooden Ships. So you, if you go to Wooden Ships, you're going to see just a ton of these wonderful designs. And they're really great because, again, during the summer nights when the breeze is kind of coming in, it's a little cooler, you just throw this sweater on over anything. They're really loose fitting and you can throw them on and they look I think they look nice. You know, this is something that you could definitely go to a restaurant in or if you wanted to go to the movies or you were going to a concert or whatever you're doing, it looks nice. And it's also something that is really easy to wear. So again, if you've got maybe arthritis or your mom has arthritis and it's hard to get your arms through something, these stretch and you can you can really, you know, stretch them and then they kind of you can kind of bring them back in so they they, you know, kind of uh hit your curves a little bit, but They're just super, super comfy, and I just really love them. So let me give you a rundown of what the fashion trend is in this coastal grandmother, this fashion look. If you haven't heard about it, I'll give you some of the the tips on on what to think about. So from a clothing perspective, everything is really, it's breezy, it's comfy, very comfortable, but it's polished. You know, it's pulled together. It's not like athleisure wear, and it's not like sweats, and it's, you really feel, again, like you could go outside and hold your head up high. So linen pants, of course, during the summer, very cool. I've got my linen culotte kind of pants on and khakis, of course, are great. And then white jeans. And by the way, in the coastal grandmother trend, as Lex tells us, white never goes out. So this is not a Memorial Day to Labor Day kind of rule that you have to follow. And then certainly blue jeans. And I think that probably the white jeans are a little bit more East Coast, you know, kind of the Hamptons and Cape Codish. And the blue jeans are going to be maybe a little bit more of our our West Coast out here in California. The other thing is, you know, luxurious, wonderful fabrics, things that you touch that just 
Ooh, they just give you a sense of comfort. So you think about really lightweight, kind of tissue weight, cashmere throws and scarves or cashmere sweaters, the beachy sweater, like I told you I'm wearing right now that actually says beach on it, linen or crisp white long sleeve shirts. Now these are button shirts, but usually what you do is you wear a little tank or something underneath or a little t-shirt, and then you just throw on the long white shirt or it can be a blue and white striped shirt as well in this different, you know, in this particular fashion trend. And then you roll up the sleeves and it almost becomes like a really lightweight jacket that you could wear around town. Now, if you remember the movie with Diane Keaton, Something's Gotta Give, or if you haven't seen it, you've got to check it out. She loved turtlenecks. And of course, turtlenecks in the summer became kind of a joke between her and Jack Nicholson in the movie. I have to tell you, I'm with Diane on this one. I love turtlenecks all year round. And you can get them really lightweight. You could get sleeveless, but I'm a huge turtleneck fan. So I kind of have to laugh at that joke because it's kind of cute, but that's part of the trend as well. Certainly navy stripes are okay, but you don't want to go too nautical. This is not sailor. This is not kind of a silly theme. It's really about, again, that comfy and some of the nautical lighter colors. You can go with blue and white stripes maybe for a sweater or a scarf or something, but no busy patterns. Everything is really kind of color blocked in the sense that you're wearing a color pant, a color top, and there there's no pattern or anything in those colors. Now, when it comes to footwear, so again, I'm going to do a little East Coast, West Coast. So the Jack Rogers sandals, if you haven't seen them, they're really wonderful sandals. They're leather woven. And I think now they're they're vegan woven too for people who are vegans, but they're just really great. And they've got almost kind of an Aztec. To me, it almost looks like a little bit of an Aztec design on these sandals, but they're real comfy. They were a favorite, by the way, of Jackie O. And then of course, on the on the West Coast out here, we love our Javianas, which come from Brazil. They're kind of the traditional flip-flop, but they're, again, they're real classy. You can get them with glamour. You could do rhinestones on them. They've got really different patterns, different colors, and they're just wonderful to wear, particularly if you're walking along the beach and you need to take off your sandals real quick and they dust off really easily. And then if you're going out, ballet flats, penny loafers are always in, topsiders, of course, and espadrilles. Now, when it comes to the colors, as I mentioned, and this is going to be true also for your well-home design, instead of the 50 shades of gray, right, we're going to talk about 50 shades of white, cream, and tan, because really that is the basics for this color palette. It's very clean, fresh, white, bright you know, again, some tan, some sand color thrown in there to kind of represent the beach. And then you've got your blues and you can even kind of go into the the sea greens, you know, so it's a little blue green if you want to go that route. But really any other color is out. Now, the only thing I will say is that in the movies, both Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep are getting dressed up for the night. Diane, of course, picks, of course, a classic, you know, LBD, little black dress. And Meryl Streep picks a really hot red number, both in kind of a jersey style. So again, really comfortable, classic, not any kind of crazy pattern, you know, maybe a beautiful necklace or something, but those would be your your nighttime. And you can wear those again. You can wear those with your Jack Rogers sandals or even with your Javianas. But all those beach tones are really the tones that we're looking for. Lightweight utility jackets are great. And I think you're going to see a little bit more of those maybe on the East Coast in, you know, Cape Cod, Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard area, and then hatwear. Now I have to say, for those of you who know me, my friends out there are going to laugh. 
I'm a crazy hat lady. I've got like a ton of hats for every occasion that you never need it for. But I also have some really great beach hats. So I'm going to now just do a little modeling for you. But, you know, the fedoras, which are woven and lightweight, those are really classic. Again, I think you might see those on both coasts. And then we've got raffia hats that are really easily and you can pack them, which is really nice. They roll up, they kind of flop, but they give you that little bit of sun protection. And then Diane in Something's Got to Give, she wears a, a great canvas bucket hat. And you can get these things at places like J. Crew and Banana Republic and Ralph Lauren certainly is, is those are the labels or the stores that you kind of want to look for for all of these things. And I'll just do again a shout out to Wooden Ships. And by the way, I don't get any kind of discount from them, although maybe I'll have to call them after this. <laughs> I do love their sweaters. They're really great. And we have a really great store. If you ever visit out here in Southern California, Newport Beach, there's a, a shopping mall near the beach called Fashion Island. And there's a great store called Stevie Sister. And that's where I get pretty much all of my coastal grandmother trend looking stuff. So that gives you a rundown of kind of this coastal grandmother trend. But again, I think what's really great about it is that the younger generation is embracing this clothing and making it ageless. It's like, hey, this is not old. This is not tired. This is not you have a few more pounds on or you don't want things that are as tight. You want them comfy. It's like, that's not just for older women or older people. This is something that I think is really, really wonderful. And if you check out Lex Nicoletta on TikTok, you'll see she's, as I said, she's really beautiful and she wears these trends really well. Now, when we move into home design, same kind of thing here. We're going to adapt this coastal grandmother into our well home design. And again, if you aren't familiar with any of Nancy Myers' movies, I will tell you, people out there know I'm a huge fangirl of Nancy Myers. And she has had a long collaboration with her production designer, John Hutman. And, you know, I had reached out to John. He's working on a movie right now. I was hoping that maybe I might get a couple minutes of him being on the podcast. But unfortunately, he's on location right now. But he does all of her production designs. And a lot of the homes, of course, that we're seeing are not actual homes. They're sets. They're movie sets. But wow, I want to just move right in. And for those of you who can maybe afford it, he also does personal interior home design for a handful of private clients. But you can see all of those beautiful photos and things on John Hutman. I'll have the link on our episode guide page, but I'll also have some photos from the movies. But just really beautiful. Obviously, the kitchen is a show place. What I love about her movies, because I'm a book lover, is she has bookshelves and books kind of, you know, in, in all the rooms of the house. Everything has the biophilic design, the beautiful, huge windows that let the natural light in and that you can open up, um, you know, French doors and have those drapes that, you know, swing in the breeze, kind of give you a little movement. Everything's very livable. And there was actually an event that was held during the pandemic, so it was virtual, and it was held by the Motion Picture Television Fund, which is out here in Southern California, and that's actually an organization that supports people in the movie industry with long-term care, and as they retire from their careers, they help out financially and other things. And she was talking in an event, and Nancy was asked about her home design and her movies, and she said, I think the reason why people love 
them so much is because it, they're cozy. They are the kind of homes that, yes, they're beautiful, but they're not like model homes. I mean, you want to, you can just go and sit right on the couch or right on the chairs. It's a place where you feel comfy. And that is really something I think we all resonated with through the pandemic. We wanted our sanctuary spaces. We've talked about that before. How do you create these places that really kind of just embrace you like a nice, nice warm hug? So you can check out Nancy's movies and see from the, the maestro how it's done and maybe get some ideas if you're looking at doing some updates in home design. But also think about, again, what's nice, I think, for our older adults who are living at home is also kind of energizing their environments. You know, I talk so often about how our health is so tied to our environments. And so whether it's bringing in maybe a little bowl with some sand and pebbles in it, maybe if your mom or your dad really, you know, remembers the beach in a, in a favorable way, or that was a favorite vacation spot or whatever it happens to be, but bringing in those personalized things that are visual that we can see that kind of reinforce both life, but also kind of these wonderful memories, I think is really really something very powerful for all of us. It really kind of connects us with the homes that we're in. And just by the way, Better Homes and Gardens called this coastal grandmother, well-home design trend, informal yet polished, relaxed yet refined. So I think that that probably describes it best. Now, a couple places where you can find this stuff, Pottery Barn and their sister company, West Elm, which is all under, by the way, the Williams-Sonoma umbrella brand. But Pottery Barn, another person we've reached out to, we're, we're going to keep our fingers crossed that we will get uh, the president of this new division that they just announced, which is called Pottery Barn Accessible Home. And it is really designed for people who want to stay in their homes as long as possible. And, and whether you have any kind of limitation physically, whether it's a disability, whether it's just maybe arthritis and things are a little bit harder to use or whatever, but also ageless. You know, when you think about things like adjustable beds. And I think I've, I've raved to you guys about my adjustable bed, which I just love. I just had a friend come stay with me over the summer and she fell in love with it. So I think I've convinced her to probably get one, but you know, those used to be known as hospital beds and now, now they're cool, right? So this is how things kind of, you know, are transformed. But I, I really applaud Pottery Barn for really addressing the need of a population that wants to stay at home, but you know, we need some help. And by the way, we want it to be beautiful. We don't want it to look like a institutional nursing home, you know, style. We want it to be gorgeous, the kind of design eye and aesthetic that a Pottery Barn can bring. So we'll have all those links again on the episode guide page. And then I have to do a shout out to my mom. My mom also lives here in Newport Beach and she had recently redone her bathroom and I didn't really get involved. You know, it was her thing and she worked with her designer, but her aesthetic is what she calls coastal cottage. And because she did some really great things in her bathroom, I asked her to share if we could share some photos. So I'm going to have those up on our episode. Maybe we'll even throw them into the video version here on YouTube, but I think you'll really love it. And you'll, you'll see the, the light that she brought in. She put in a beautiful skylight. She redid her shower. It's just really, really gorgeous. So, you know, we'll, I'll do a little write up on that and we'll have some photos and stuff. So a shout out and thanks to mom for sharing that. And then also, I just recently worked with a private client on her mother has dementia and she wanted to redo her mom's bathroom. She's keeping her mom at home for now. And so she had reached out to me and, and said, you know, could you kind of come over and, 
and walk me through and give me, you know, give me your rundown, give me your checklist that you've developed now for this design for life kind of in your home. And I helped her redesign that bathroom. So maybe we'll get some footage or some photos there that we could share as well. But I'll also throw up the articles that I've written on dementia friendly design. And this happens to be a beach home that her mom lives in. She lives right on the beach. And so that's got a coastal vibe going to it too. And then I'm just going to do a really quick shout out because I know we're running long on time here, but there's a companion, if you will, or something similar to the coastal grandmother phenomenon that's happened out there. And it's called Grand Millennial Design. Now, again, if you haven't heard of this, this has been all over El Decor. It's all over HGTV as well on the show Hometown. Erin Napier on that show is a huge fan of the Grand Millennial Design. She's kind of like one of the, the goddesses, if you will, of Grand Millennial. Now, this is different from the Coastal Grandmother, because Grand Millennial is kind of think about going up into your grandparents' attic and recycling or upcycling things that they may have. So let's just say it's maybe rattan or cane furniture, and maybe you have some of it rewoven. Erin's done that on her show. And then also you use a really cool, maybe vibrant, colorful fabric for the seat cushion. Or you take an old vintage wooden carved gilded mirror and you repaint it. And it's in a bright neon green and you put that in your your bathroom or something. So it's taking what your grandparents, essentially older adults, older generations had, and it's upcycling them with a, a millennial flair to make them work for you today. So that's a big trend that's happening as well. And a lot of it is very vintage, kind of reminds me of that shabby chic trend that we had back in the 90s, lots of chintz, lots of tapestry pillows, as I mentioned, the canes, lots of floral. So floral and fauna. And whether those are prints that you get framed or whether it's wallpaper, they're doing a lot of wallpaper now. People are doing a lot of the stick and peel as well in smaller apartments and things. So you can find a lot of these and I'll have great examples up on the episode guide page. So for those of you, again, who are listening to the podcast, maybe you'll go check out our episode guide page because we'll give you some eye candy to check out on that grand millennial style. And then lastly, I just want to quickly do a shout out and Hopefully you'll be able to take a look at this, but September, in addition to being all these things we talked about, National Grandparents Day, National Healthy Aging Month is also Emergency Preparedness Month. And I think that this is, again, so often we don't necessarily really plan ahead for emergencies and you know disasters that could happen. And it's so important, particularly with older loved ones. And it's whether your older loved one is living at home and maybe even alone, or whether they're living in a community like assisted living or in memory care, there are a lot of questions that you want to ask. There's things that you need to know. If they're living at home, you want to know what are the emergency services, Red Cross, would they be setting up at the nearby senior center? How do you get in touch with them? Do they have a go bag? All these things. So what I'm going to do, I do a webinar on this for some of my employer clients. I'm going to offer that to you for free. I'm going to do the webinar for you guys on emergency planning with your older loved ones. And I'll have a link on our episode guide page so you can check that out and hopefully get a checklist for just getting a little ahead of the game, being prepared. I know it's hard to say, you know, what disasters, but let's let's face it. Doesn't matter where you live in this country. So whether it's, you know, the hurricanes or the tornadoes or the fires or the floods or the ice storms, there is always something happening. And then, of course, we also have things like the pandemic. And we just need to understand, okay, what are the essentials? What are the basics that I just probably ought to have some things pulled together? So just in case I don't feel like I'm, you know, caught a little short on getting that planning going. So I'm going to have that webinar for you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I hope you guys can check that out. 
And now with that, let's go to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. 2022 is our year of living colorfully. This is all about the color blue, which of course we associate with, you know, the oceans and the skies. So it fits into our coastal theme, but it's about how blue really affects our health. And so I hope you really enjoy this Me Time Monday wellness hack because it's a special one that we did for you. So here you go. Welcome to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. Our theme for 2022 is live colorfully. So our Me Time Monday wellness hack today is on the power of the color blue in our lives. Blue is most often associated with our seas and our skies and a crucial element of nature and of life. When we look at an image of the earth from space, we can see water is all around us and is a key source of survival. In fact, humans cannot survive more than three days without water, which is why it's a good thing that the Earth's surface is 75% water. But also, 60% of the human body and 80% of the human brain are also made of water. And 80% of most people in the world live 60 miles or closer to some body of water, whether it's an ocean, a sea, a lake, or a river, meaning we are never far from water that can rejuvenate us. Now, 50% of people worldwide, despite gender and different cultures, choose blue as their favorite color. This is two to four times more than any other color that's out there. And yet blue is the rarest color in nature. So from animals to plants to food, we have fewer blue things in those areas than other colors. Blue is both a trusted color and a cool color. In the 1930s, the popularity of cowboy films helped blue jeans make the leap from workwear into the wardrobes of Hollywood stars. But it was in the 50s and 60s that stars like Marlon Brando and James Dean and even Marilyn Monroe, followed by the hippie chic of stars like Ally McGraw in the 70s, and then model Brooke Shields, who in the 80s said nothing came between her and her Calvins, all of that made jeans cool and also America's most popular pants. That is until 2021, when for the first time in decades, jeans ranked number two next to the pandemic's favorite athleisure wear leggings. When we look at brands and big companies, blue means trust and confidence, which is why large trusted brands such as Lowe's, United Healthcare, Facebook, or Meta, AT&T, American Express, Pfizer, and Walmart all choose blue for their logo. Blue is also a stable, harmonious, peaceful, and trustworthy color. The personality traits that are most associated with blue are calming and soothing. Again, trustworthy, gentle, compassionate, peaceful, loyal, and strong. Blues and greens, are the colors that most calm the body and reduce respiration and lower blood pressure. That is why surgeons wear a sea green or blue scrubs to help calm their patients. Now on the flip side, blue can also be connected to moods which are more melancholy and the color is often associated with depression. Picasso's most famous and most valuable works are from his blue period when he was in a deep depression over the loss of a friend. 
Some also associate blue with death because as L. Elizabeth Crawford, a professor of psychology at the University of Richmond in Virginia said, she suggested the association arose from the look of the body when it's in a low energy, low oxygen state. She said, you know, the lips turn blue, there's a blue pallor to the complexion. It's the opposite of the warm flushing of the skin that we associate with love, kindness, and affection, and life. This is also true for food. Most people know that blue tinge on meat products means decay, and one research study had weight loss participants replace their refrigerator light bulbs with blue bulbs to discourage snacking and overeating. Now, some studies show installing blue-colored lights in train stations or on highways has been shown to reduce the crime rate. In one city that installed blue lights in high-crime areas, such as railway stations, they saw crime drop 9% and suicides in that area ceased altogether. And while blue lights serve a positive function when it comes to stopping crime, we know that blue light emissions from smartphones, TVs, computers, and tablets, especially in the bedroom at night, will disrupt your circadian rhythms of 24-7 light-dark cycles that promote restful sleep. Turning off all digital devices with these blue lights before bed is recommended to improve your sleep and your health. So what wellness hacks do we have that are associated with blue? Well, first of all, let's talk about food. We mentioned that while blue foods are rare, there are some really great foods out there that are nutritious. For instance, there's blue corn, there's blue fin tuna, blue lobster, elderberries, blue grapes, small amounts of blue cheese, and especially blueberries, which are great sources of antioxidants for cancer-fighting properties. The second hack is stay hydrated. As we said, 60% of our body and 80% of our brains are made of water. And so we need enough fluids to function properly. Everything from headaches to heartburn to lower back pain, swelling of the ankles and dizziness can be caused by dehydration. Our formula for how much water you should drink is really personalized to you rather than the standard eight glasses of eight ounces a day, which we've heard for many years from our healthcare community. So try this instead. Take your weight and turn it into ounces. So if you weigh 160 pounds, that becomes 160 ounces. Now divide that number in half, okay? So now you have 80 ounces. That is the amount of ounces of water that you should be drinking per day. And remember that caffeinated sodas and tea do not count. You have to make it water only, and you can certainly add some lemon or some cucumbers for zest, but water is really essential to our health. Our third hack is you can enjoy a bath or shower or even washing your hands under warm, soapy water. You can feel the luxuriating and comforting and soothing element that water gives to you for both your body and your mind. If you cannot get to a body of water, so whether it's your backyard pool or the beach or a, a lake or a river, and you can't spend the day swimming or boating or paddling around, you can always watch some videos on your favorite water place or your favorite water sport. 
Our fifth hack is to listen to gentle waves or raindrops via what we call pink sounds, which are found on many sleep apps or even sleep machines. And if you use this at night, it will actually be one of the most restful nights of sleep that you can get. We hope you enjoyed this explanation of how we developed our Me Time Monday wellness hacks and how Blue helps you be healthy. Each episode of our Caregiving Club On Air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. And check out more great wellness articles from my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, the weekly wellness edit for a wonderful life. I'm Sherry Snelling, and I wish you all to take care and stay well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club On Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com at the podcast tab at the top and email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com with any questions or comments. Take care and stay well. Thanks everyone for joining us at Caregiving Club on air. Remember to send us your emails at podcast at caregivingclub.com and don't forget to include your first name and your hometown. And you can also learn more at caregivingclub.com. We look forward to having you back for our next episode. Until then, take care and stay well.